0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ, it shows us
0: Israelites were on the brink of entering the Promised Land, but a huge obstacle lay before them. They had to cross the Jordan River. Today we'll see how God is true to His Word and keeps His promises even when it seems impossible. is part one of Cheryl's message titled, He Who Began a Good Work in You.
1: So, do any of you, or maybe I'm the only one, I'm willing to confess it, have any half-finished projects lying around you? Bless you, bless you, bless you. I see that hand. Half-finished part, pro- I'm so glad I'm not alone in that. Okay, so years ago, I decided I was gonna make a quilt for each one of my children, right? So I made a quilt for each of my boys, which now are in tatters. They love those quilts to the uttermost. You know, it was a quilt in the day. Remember those times with Ellen Woods and she'd throw the fabric over her head? And so then I made, I started one for my oldest daughter, but halfway through she decided she wanted like something that looked more like the Brady Bunch. And she didn't like the Victorian fabrics that she'd chosen. So my littlest one at the time said, I want it, I want it. So I finished the quilt for her. And then it was my oldest daughter. So she picked out another pattern. Well, in the meantime, we moved to England. Now, in England, I was asking everyone, do you know where a fabric shop is? Do you know where a fabric shop is? And they're just looking at me like um, I'm crazy. Or somebody sent me to a, like, a shop that sells tiles and floorings. I'm like, this is not what I want, fabric. But when they, you say fabric to them, they think of like textiles. I found out if you want fabric and you're in English, ask for the haberdashery shop. Haberdashery. Isn't that a cute name? Haberdashery. So it took me like a year to figure out what I was supposed to say. And once I found out I needed the haberdashery, I located one that was about three miles from my house. And I got all these different fabrics from England. And I made what was called a granny's cottage, the quilt top. Well, in the meantime, she went off to Bible college. She comes back. I'm still working on the quilt because now I'm homeschooling, doing brunches, doing two Bible studies a week and Sunday school which was draining me dry. So I'm I'm doing it in the increments of time. But then she comes back. She meets Michael. She gets married. I've just finished the quilt top, and she said it needs to be bigger. So I add a border. But, you know, I decide I add one border, and I'm like, she says, no, Mom, bigger. So then I add another bigger border, and I decided to do appliques on it. It was so cute. But then I've got the applique border, but it needed another border. Anyway, this is all to say 18 years later, I've got the most adorable quilt top sitting in my personal clothing closet, mocking me. Every time I go in there, I'm unfinished, I'm unfinished, I'm unfinished, I'm unfinished. And I said to her the other day, I said, honey, I've got that quilt top You know, still from you know, when you were in high school and then college and then you got married, you probably don't want it. I was just like, Mom, I do want it. Are you gonna finish it? I'm like, Yeah. Any decade now, it's gonna totally be done. But here's the thing that I love. God does not have unfinished product uh You know, he doesn't have things like, yeah, I was working on Uranus, but then Saturn came along. (laughs) And, you know, I just just, I got really into the rings like, whoa, you know, so I I thought, well, you know, I'll work on this, you know, and then beetle geese, you know, it's like, whoa, it's so huge. Let me just he doesn't get distracted. He finishes his projects. When we look out at the universe, we're not looking at like, what are you doing with that half over there? He finishes it. We, we look at the earth. The earth isn't half finished, you know. Like, yeah, I'm going to work on Asia in a while. But, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up with, you know, the the Southern Hemisphere. God finishes everything he starts. God finished his plan of redemption so that Jesus could say on the cross, it is finished. Not while it's in the works. Anytime now. It is finished. Paid in God finishes what he starts. Paul wrote, and I love this, and you know this scripture. It's Philippians 1.6. Is probably some of your favorite scriptures. And it says, being confident, absolutely assured of this very thing, having no doubts at all that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will finish his work. God has brought you this far and he fully intends to bring you all the way into all of his promises. God has no obstacles. Jesus said in Mark 10, 27, for with God, all things are possible. We tend to think That maybe God has given up on us. Well, you know, Cheryl, once you hit that, you know, four hundred ninety-first sin, I just, you know, it's over. I found somebody else who they're only on four hundred. You know, so I'm going to go with them for a while. I'll finish it for them. But you, you we think, or that we think that God found, you know, someone more important. I'm sorry, Oprah Winfrey just got saved. Sorry, Cheryl. You know, but hey, like he's going to go to the next person and just forsake us. But that's not how God is. Sometimes we think that we've done something that has disqualified us from his promises or his goodness. Even the disciples in the boat in Mark 4, in the midst of the storm, even though they had seen all the miracles of Jesus, even though Jesus had said to them, let's go to the other side, woke up Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing that we're about to die. And isn't that how we are sometimes in life? We've got a promise from God, but we think I'm gonna die before I get to that promise. It's just not gonna happen for me. Or too often, we think that the best times are behind us. Oh yeah, that was when God used to answer my prayers. Those were the good times. Instead of realizing the best is yet to be. God having defeated Og and Sihon, the giants and the Israelites' lives was about to take them on into the promises. But often we think, oh, this is the trial. I know you defeated all those other enemies. I know you dealt with those giants, but this is the trial. This is the big one. This is the one I'm not gonna make it through. This is the one that's gonna ruin and take everything away. This is the obstacle of impossibility, the one that will keep me from the rest of the promises. Or maybe it's been so long, I think the expiration date on the coupon of God's promises is over. I can no longer turn in that coupon and redeem it for the promises of God because it's been such a long time. Israel was faced with the obstacle of the Jordan River. Now, God had delivered them from the Egyptians. He had miraculously parted the Red Sea, dealt with their enemies, then sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness, kept his word to them that their parents would perish in the wilderness, but that Joshua and Caleb would miraculously be sustained, and they could look at Joshua and Caleb, and say, wow, those old guys are pretty miraculous. They had defeated the giants, and the land of the giants had already been given over to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. But now God says, it's time to take up camp and move from the Acacia Grove to the very riverside of Jordan. Jordan. Now the land that God has promised is in their sights, but it's out of their reach. They have been a nomadic people for 40 years, living in tents, living in desert areas. They don't swim. They don't have experience with rivers or seas or lakes, and they have no means of crossing this great expanse there is no bridge, no landmass that crosses it, no ferries, and it's the fullest time of the year. It's the time when the current is the strongest, when the Jordan River is overflowing its banks, so now it's a mile wide, and there is more water than usual in the Jordan. But God, who finishes everything he initiates, has a plan. He has not brought the children of Israel to the bank of Jordan to say, look what you could have had. Look what's on the other side. Don't you want it? Isn't it so beautiful? Oh, well. But you know, sometimes that's how we treat God. Like, God, why did you show me these things if you're not going to give it to me? Why did you let me have these desires if it's not going to happen? But God brings us to this place. It is God who is working in us to will and to do of his own good will. He's putting these desires in us because he wants to take us to the other side of Jordan. God has a specific way for the children of Israel to deal with the obstacle in front of them. God has not asked, excuse me, could the most creative people please step forward? Any engineers in the crowd? He does not use engineers to build a bridge. He does not instruct the people on how to build a ferry. And we know that he could because he instructed Noah on how to build an ark. He does not tell them to wait here until the fall when the Jordan River is not as full. Instead, God instructs the people, follow the ark and sanctify yourselves. These two instructions are the way they are to deal with the obstacle. These two instructions are the way that we are all to deal with every obstacle to the promises of God. We follow the ark and we sanctify ourselves. This is what is required. Now, the people are to follow the ark of the covenant let me say this. The Ark of the Covenant is a symbolic representation of God's agreement with Israel. It's the Ark of the Covenant, the agreement. I have to say personally, the Lord has been challenging me to be a blessing and to only call down blessings. I, I love cursings. I will be honest. I like the imprecatory songs, which are the ones like break the teeth in their mouth. I feel like those are the powerful prayers, you know, the ones that slay the enemy. And the other day as I was praying, the Lord spoke to me and said, Cheryl, you can either be a blessing or a cursing, but you can't pray both in your prayers. Which one do you choose? You know, and I said, okay, Lord, I I definitely wanna pray blessing. I wanna pray blessing on people. I wanna pray, you know, blessing, you know, your blessing's down. He says, all right, then it's blessings only. So I'm driving down the street and I see this really awful Um, Shop on the side and I were like, oh, curse. No. Save those people who own it. Those who go in it. You know, I was like, okay, I've been called to be a blessing and to bless others. And it's just totally changed my prayer life and everything. But we are called to this blessing. So, All this to say, as I'm driving, this Honda Accord cuts me off on the way to church. (laughs) And I'm called to be a blessing and to say blessings. And I'm like, it just cut me off. And I looked at it and said, but it's an Accord, it's an agreement, it's a testimony, it's a covenant of Honda with that person driving. I will keep you safe, even though you drive erratically. It's an accord. God had an accord. He had an agreement with Israel that was represented by the Ark of the Covenant. It was where God met man. And inside this golden box, there was the manna, which reminded the Israelites of God's provision. There was Aaron's rod that budded, which reminded the people of God's living, eternal authority. And there were the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments that reminded the people of God's righteousness and his law. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant were two golden cherubim angels whose wings touched, and it was called the mercy seat, which reminded the people of the glory of God, the throne of God, the mercy of God. And it was in this place that God said, I will meet with you. But as we know, only the high priest was allowed to see the Ark of the Covenant. And he was only allowed to go in once a year to the holiest of holies, And he couldn't go in there without the blood sacrifice for all of Israel. And even before he went in, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself. And then he would take that blood and he would put it on the horns of the Ark of the Covenant, reminding the people of Israel of the glory of God and that God could not be approached in just any way that you wanted to. He was a holy God and there was only one way of approach And that was through the high priest once a year. And when it was moved, it was shrouded in a veil of blue cloth and badger skin so that the people couldn't even see. And what they saw instead was something common like badger skin and and something beautiful like blue cloth but they couldn't see the actual glory of the Ark of the Covenant. Only the poles that went through the rings on the corner of the Ark were visible to the people. And it was to be carried only by the Levites and specifically the tribe of Kohath, men who were between 30 and 50 years old. So this Ark reminded these people the Hebrews, of God's covenant with them, his agreement, his accord with them, of God's continual provision for them, God's absolute authority, living authority, eternal authority, God's law, God's presence, God's holiness, and God's ways. The people were to keep a distance from the ark. They could not approach it on their terms. It was not safe by any other means than by God's prescribed measures. The distance would allow all the people to see the ark at all times. They were to keep their eyes on the ark for guidance because they had never gone this way before. I wanted to mention just 2 Samuel 6, 3 through 8. Um, At that time, later in Israel's history, under King David, when David had first taken the throne, the ark had been in Philistine territory, and then it had gone to a man's house named Obed-Edom, just in case you wanted to know his last name, Edom. No, I'm just making that if he was from Edom, but Obed. And when it was in Obed's house, his house was blessed. David wanted to move the ark to Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. But he took the Philistine way and he had the ark put on a cart that was drawn by oxen. And this young man Uzzah, even though he was from the Levitical family, as he was sitting on the ark, uh, sitting on the cart, the cart wheels hit a rock and it kind of shook the cart, and Uzzah just put out his hand to steady the ark, and immediately he was struck by God and he died because of the righteousness of the ark, the covenant with God, and the unrighteousness of Uzzah, who was just a human being. But God, again, was showing that the ark could not be moved in any unprescribed way. There was only one way, one agreement with mankind, and it had to be approached by a specific way, So the people were to keep their eyes on the ark for guidance. They'd never gone this way before. They didn't know the land, the topography, or where the rocks were or the holes or the ditches or where the soft ground was or the hard ground. They didn't know where they were going specifically and the way or the best course to take was untried and unexpected. God was going to do things differently than what they had experienced beforehand. Remember again, they were nomadic people. They were used to deserts. Now they're entering into a fertile land and they could not apply the desert methodologies to the promised land. They needed new ways and they would learn these ways by watching, by watching what God was doing. They needed to keep their eyes on God's covenant with them and not on the obstacles against them. Secondly, verse five, the people needed to sanctify themselves. Now, as we studied this week, we realized that sanctification means to set ourselves apart So in other words, these people were to take time to dedicate themselves afresh to God's purposes and God's promises. They were to stop and consecrate themselves to God I belong to you. I'm here because you brought me through. You brought my parents through. You sustained me through the wilderness. That's why I'm alive today, for this moment, for this time. And so I'm giving myself to you. And they were to contemplate who God was and all he had done to take time to think about how God had parted the Red Sea how God had sent the manna every day without fail, except for on the Sabbath. How God had given them water out of the rock. How God had saved them from the deadly serpent's bite. They were to rehearse their history. And they were to contemplate all of God's works. And think about the Lord of the whole earth, what that means and who God was. And they were to prepare their hearts for obedience to God, to follow the ark, to get ready for wonders and the unexpected. Consecration or sanctification is so important. Without it, we miss the wonders of our life. In Philippians chapter 4, when Paul is instructing the Philippians about how to practically get the joy of the Lord in their lives. And remember, he's writing this from a prison and he's an example to them of joy. He said, don't be anxious over anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That with thanksgiving is so important because thanksgiving is part of sanctification. Thanksgiving is remembering all that God has done thus far. You know, Have you ever done that? Just realize how much God has done? You know, the enemy is constantly telling us that God is through with us for one reason or another, either because we've done something or because he's you know, moved on to better projects. And the enemy is always trying to tell us that. But Thanksgiving opens our eyes to how God is so intricately involved in the details of life. I've told you this story before, but it bears retelling. I was driving this one day and I was just thinking of everything that is wrong in my life. Ever have days like that? Everything is just wrong. And I was telling the Lord, everything is just wrong in my life. You know, my husband loves his cell phone more than me. And I was just telling it to Jesus. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Cheryl,
0: be thankful. I'm like, yeah, right. God brought the Israelites to the edge of the Jordan River. They may have thought this was the end, but God had a plan. God told them, follow the ark and sanctify yourself. The ark was where God met man and its contents reminded the people of God's provision, authority, and his righteousness and law. This is what would guide them through a raging river into the promised land. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how we prepare for God's work as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.